And I think the definitely the focus should be on what is it that will make for a better experience? What is it that is going to make for a better game, yeah. a more fun game, a better experience for the player? In this episode of the FIKA Sessions, we meet lead game designer Andrada Grechuk to find out all we can about being a game designer for video games. Hi, Andrada. Hey. Hey, welcome. Thank you. You brought Fika. I did. These actually have names, like actual person names. <laughs> yeah, they do. I actually, I, do, I don't know them by this name, so I don't know why they're called. They're called Sarah Bernhardt on the label here. Yeah, I don't think you can see it for there, but they're this little this one name is tags. The other way. Why? I have no <laughs> idea, but we, I think they're also, they're also called the Biskvi in yep. Swedish. Yep. That's how, that's the name I know. And they're filled with this cream kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, is it hazelnut? I don't know. It's just I the best, know. to me, it's the best fika. Yeah, mm. really, really good. So you work here at Massive Entertainment as lead game designer. I do. On a top level, because it feels like the words game designer is one of those things that are really easy if you're outside the industry to romanticize. Like, yeah. oh, that person is a game designer. The person designs games, but really, on a kind of top level, what does a game designer do? Yeah, you're right. I think a lot of people think that game designers are their job is to kind of have ideas and yeah. like just dream some some cool game experience. And there's a, there's a bit of truth in that. Um, I think a game designer's sort of main mission is to make sure that the game is fun. Yeah. Um, and that can take a lot of shapes. Uh, it can be that you know you feel um that you feel immersed or transfixed to another world or that you feel curious or that you feel you have that sort of childlike wonder in the game or that you feel challenged by this like obstacle that is kind of uh, making you learn and grow and then you master it and you beat the game uh it can be feeling curious or smart because yeah. the game gave you options that are interesting and you felt like you could could uh, could kind of use use your mind um, yeah, so you, you know, so I think it's depending on what, what the, the game you're making and the intention that you have behind how you want to make those players feel, yeah. um, you can, you, you decide, you decide what type of, what types of, what type of design and what types of systems you want to put in and, you know, what the, the actual, um, sort of journey and adventure that you want to take them on. But I think it's, it, it starts off a little bit there with like, okay, what, what, what is the. What do I want my players to experience? Yeah. Um, and then sort of the less, less fluffy answer is uh, would be that like at Massive, we make uh, open world games, uh, pretty huge open world games where you um, you control a character. So that kind of informs a little bit the types of disciplines right. that you that, like sort of or the types of uh, aspects of the game that we have to cover with game design. And that actually results into um, design disciplines or sub disciplines, however you want to call them. And, you know, we have um, three Cs. Uh, I'll go into that in a second. We have AI. Uh, we have all sorts of systems design. Uh, we have progression design. But basically, the in a nutshell, um, game designer at Massive is usually somebody that um, invents and dis uh, designs rules for how um, the player interacts with the game. Yep. with the game world and also how the different ingredients of the game interact with each other. 
So that 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 is kind of what we take care of. Um, and then to go back and do the sort of the the like the disciplines, um, we have three C's, which I think is a Ubisoft uh, terminology. Yeah, yeah um, which uh, stands for camera controls and character. So it's basically the the craft of making you feel like you are your virtual avatar, right. like making that gap between you as a physical person and your and your the, the character you're controlling as small as possible. And you saying things like, "Oh, I jumped over this." You clearly didn't, but <laughs> um, but it's it's I think it's that craft, and it's it's super important in our games and 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 very uh, difficult, I think, from not being a three C designer. Um, then we have AI design. Um, we usually have uh, uh, like what we call NPCs, non-player characters, uh, non-playing characters, which um, usually have behaviors and they, you know, they do things in the, in the game. They can be your enemies, they can be hostile, they can be friendly, they can be wildlife. So uh, those designers that, that work with AI design um, think, invent basically behaviors for them, how they, how they interact again when the player does certain things how they interact with each other. Um, so a lot of like work on the different types of, of NPCs and the, the, yeah, the, how they're different, how they're varied. How. Yeah. Then we have uh, more generic system design that basically tries to cover like all the things that you can do in the game. Are you, is your game a shooting game? Is your game, you know, in a game, a game in which you craft or you build things? You know how how does that happen? What are the rules basically of of how the player engages with that? Does makes that basically in, in the game interact in, in in the game with with those systems, and then of course how how do they fit in with the rest of the big puzzle? Yep. And finally, progression. Um, that's what I've been working with most mostly, uh, especially here in Massive. Um, it's usually trying to look at the bigger like the the sort of the journey the player takes throughout the the adventure that is the game right. and basically how how our, our systems evolve over time how does the player evolve over time how do, how, how do we deal with difficulty how do, how do we deal with um, introducing new uh, sort of concepts to the player to keep it interesting and engaging but also with like making sure the players have medium and long-term goals yeah. so that they can you know kind of um, yeah just feel like they they have a little bit of control we at least in 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 our games we we really like to give a lot of autonomy to our players so we work a lot with this type of uh player goals yep. making sure the players can plan out kind of what they want to do and how they want to play and yeah so yeah that's kind of in a nutshell what how i see <laughs> in game a, design in a, in a nutshell how i see in a nutshell of four disciplines um yeah. how i see game design and i think we, we're lucky because we can afford to have pretty large game design teams and have yeah. This type of um, specialization within game design. Yeah, AAA development is yeah huge. Mm. Uh, but, but before, because there's a lot of stuff to unpack yes. in there. Sorry. <laughs> uh, just get back to how did you end up at Massive Entertainment? Uh, I came over from another Ubisoft studio, actually, uh, uh, which is uh, in Bucharest, where I'm from originally. And um, so I came over nine years ago um, to uh, work on the division, the first division game. Um, and yeah, I, I worked as a progression designer um, for the longest time <laughs> and keep doing that, I think, to this day, actually. Um, yeah, I previously worked um, as a game designer in Bucharest. I worked um, 
as a mobile game designer for a while as well uh, in a company that is kind of was kind of part of Ubisoft, or at least the sister company of Ubisoft. Um, and yeah, I got into game games quite um, early when I was 19, and I've worked for Ubisoft for Ubisoft-related companies uh, this entire time. So I can speak for Ubisoft uh, game design experience uh, mostly, uh, but it's yeah. But did you have uh, any form of education or anything when you came in? You just jumped no, straight into the industry. No, uh, there was not. There, there wasn't that opportunity, uh, and I was kind of lucky to get like uh, almost like a part-time job to help out in the studio, and then I got really hooked on what they were doing. And then I, I was offered like a writing job because it's pretty right. good in English, like, at English. So I was writing. Um, I was writing just like kind of copywriting for some for some games and apps. Um, and then I, I got into game design, and so I kind of learned by doing. And I failed a lot, <laughs> quite a lot. So I, you know, uh, yeah, that was yeah. kind of like, yeah, there was no, there was no education um, available. I think it's still quite uh, little uh, in terms of uh, game development education in Bucharest, but it's starting to become um, a big thing, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's been so interesting sitting down with people like this and, and just hearing the different ways people get into the industry, yeah. it's just so different. Either straight in or they go these long paths around. Yeah. Uh, it's really, yeah. really fascinating to hear. I think, it's, and for game design, um, I think it's a lot of people also coming from testing or from production, like producers or, or project coordinators. So it's like you have these sort of paths in that yeah. you can kind of recognize. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I think lately in the last... I don't know, maybe a decade. It's been more and more people coming with formal education, yeah. um, which I think is is very cool. Um, Do you see a, a change kind of over these? You've been with Ubisoft for nine years, but in like general, what do you think your field? How has it changed during this time? I think it's also. I I think it it maybe I'm wrong, but from my experience, it's very much um, depends a little bit on the studio as well, a bit as well. What you like how how the how the role is perceived. Um, I think like it, it's evolved from a less hands-on to a more hands-on type of role, at least in terms of how much you work in engine. Right. Um, it was more of a ideation, documentation, you know, communication type role, I think, at the beginning. And now it's, I think it's a lot more, more of an, in, you know, there's a lot more done in engine by game designers. Right. They, they prototype things themselves. They, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to get into that type of work as a game designer than it used to be for sure so that's a change i see um i think also like at massive we see game designers having a lot of ownership and you know you know being empowered to to make decisions about the game and as long as they follow a force of creative vision which i think is also something that we've that we've evolved into which is a good thing for for the games moving forward quickly and getting into a state where we can look at them yeah Hmm? We're gonna get back to that puzzle mm, of yes. various disciplines uh, mm. after a while, but on a on a daily basis, just in in, in your job, yeah. um, How how do you view your your work and how what do you actually do? Right, I think it depends a bit on the on the stage of the the project or the game uh, development sort of process. Usually, we we get um, we define an intention. This is what we want to achieve. This is the experience that we are after. And usually, um, create creative direction directors in general are a big part of defining that intention. Yeah. And we get a creative uh, work frame basically to to kind of design in. Um, and so, 
when when that is kind of done, we we usually start getting into the the details, and that's kind of like the ideation part for a game designer, where they go they go and they prototype things to try things out to see um, what would work, what wouldn't, and usually we also document, yeah. you know, a solution to to this uh, to to this intention or design goals that we set out to achieve, and and we do that in a design document. Um, yeah, the design document is mm, interesting. Pain. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because you, yeah. You, we talked now about, about working in the engine and actually mm. like practically building yes. stuff that way. Uh, but there's still a lot of, as you say, documentation and an actual design document. I think it's um, it's important to do. It's not maybe the most fun for everyone. Um, some some designers, I think, use it as part of of their process. They they use it to structure their their ideas and to to see kind of the experience on paper. Uh, but I think for, for some designers, it's not the most fun part. Um, how, how does it usually look? Like Because mm. we, we talked about fun before, which is a whole FICA session in itself. Yeah. Uh, but how do you transfer fun into text? Because it's fairly, as far as I've understood it uh, mm. from discussions we've had earlier, is it's quite technical. You can't really prove it on paper. And we don't actually expect to be right or have all the answers on paper, actually. We are, I think the, the design documentation or that design phase uh, on paper or in theory that we do is, is mostly to make sure that we have a plan. Right. So we don't set out to implement with the larger team without having you know, some idea of what we're trying to build. And I think also what it does is that it puts you a little bit in front of all the, the issues that, or the problems that might arise. So you might be able to solve some things already at that stage. You have to discover them later and be faced with them later. Right. It's also important to, uh, to do this in order to um, have this sort of alignment with the rest of the project. Like make sure that your plan fits with the with the big plan and the rest of the little plans that everybody has. Yeah. So that's another reason to 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 put it down on paper. But a lot of the time it's not gonna stick. <laughs> like you're you're gonna make changes. It's not the it's not what it's a lot of the time is not what it actually ships. Right. So and that's fine. We're okay with that. There's no problem. There is no Nobody's expected to ship what's on that. It, it would actually be weird, probably. You would be very brilliant. And I'm sure people maybe are that brilliant sometimes, but I, I haven't seen it happen um, yet. There's all these, like, I keep mm. just so much um, on a bigger, again, going back to bigger, because yeah. I still want to talk about these like systems, yeah. how they yeah. interact. But you mentioned the creative framework. Yeah. Like, how does a, a game designer work within, because you, you get the creative vision from, like, creative directors and producers and stuff. Mm. How do you then take that and put it into your work? So usually, you know, there's some pillars defined. Sometimes you might have something a little bit more detailed, like still pretty high level in terms of like what the expectations are from the feature uh, in terms of like the information. But usually like you get pretty, pretty high level pillars of like, we want to achieve this. We don't want to be that. We want to be this. Um, and in that sort of creative vision, there are, several solutions, several options you can take. And I think that's where the game designer comes in and makes a decision. Yeah. Um, so as long as those pillars and those goals are met, uh, you know, the design document will show that. Uh, and that's usually what is submitted for approval. So so we have kind of a check-in with the, with the creative direction to make sure that they are on board with our plan yeah. and that our plan actually respects that creative framework. So... Um, so that's kind of where we where we make sure that how we make sure that that happens, and it is it is part of the game designer's 
job to make sure that they, what they design make makes sense in that framework. And, it, you know, sometimes it might not be what you prefer. You might not agree with those pillars 100%. Maybe, you you know, you think other pillars are more important, but, you know, you have to, that's that's part of the, you know, the, the job. You have to um, be creative in those constraints. Yep. And uh, find the find the joy in solving the problems in those in those in those uh, in that context. So, yeah. mm? it's a word that keeps coming back as well as alignment, mm. yeah. which is definitely we go to all these different uh, disciplines. Yeah, and you create these systems. First, how would you define a system? I think it's it's a hard thing to define. I thought about it a bit. Um, to me, it's um. To me, it's it's a set of it's a set of uh, rules, or uh, and it depends a little bit on what type of system we're talking about. It can be sure. a system that deals with certain ingredients in the game, um, or it can be a system that just defines rules that that or interactions that the player can do in order to to achieve an outcome. Like if we're doing crafting, yeah. okay, what are what are the ins? What are the outs? How do we how do we um, what do we put the focus on? Do we want to have uh, the focus on finding the materials? Uh, or do we want to have the focus on um, the player being creative in that in that crafting loop? Uh, so based on what your goals are and what the, the system is, we define exactly the, the rules that govern what the player can do. Yep. And so I, I think to me, it's a, it's a rule set and of how your various ingredients interact with each other and how the player can fiddle with them basically or interact with them basically so yes but sorry then, not the clearest but <laughs> no, no no it makes, makes perfect sense mm-hmm. and i mean then you have your system yeah and then you have other systems that other people are working yes with. and this is where it kind of gets to me kind of mind-blowing how all of these things manage to fit together as a whole yeah like how do you actually do that work you have a team working on the crafting you have a team yes. working on the even combat or ai mm-hmm. or whatever how do you these Kind of it is definitely sure challenging, uh, but I think we have we have process in place to align. And for example, one one way we align early on is through peer reviewing our game design documents, like making sure that our game designs are or sanity checking them. I have an idea that affects tech in this way or this other designer in a way before I commit to it and I put it in my design document or in my design. Maybe I go and have a chat with those people and make sure that it's not, you know, completely out of this world, you know, or or, or not feasible. So that's that's one way to do it. Then then we have this like sort of formal peer review step where you can catch these things. As a game designer, you read somebody else's design and you see, okay, this thing you put here does not fit with my plans. So right. we need to negotiate a little bit here. Um, then I mean, you know, there's only so much you can catch at that stage. The idea is to get everything in the game as soon as possible. Uh, that's why we have Alpha is a really good uh, sort of milestone for that. And at Alpha, we start seeing how everything is coming together. And and then I think what what we need we also need to have because we work work on our very focused slices. It's very important to have these opportunities to sort of look at the big picture. Mm-hmm. So we have play tests for that. Uh, we have user tests, which are super interesting because you, you get to see players playing an experience from the beginning to end or whatever uh, is planned there. And I think um, also usually that's where the leads and the directors can also help give perspective because they look at the big picture. Right. Uh, they also know what's coming from all the other disciplines or other teams that you're not really in touch with as much. So, yeah, I think there's it's it's definitely not an easy 
uh, job, but I think we have some we have some things in place for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just fascinating to see it come together. Asset cohesive whole. Yeah. It's like, okay, so I have a crafting, and then I have to go get this monster, but somebody yeah. else is designing what the monster drops when I kill yeah. it, but I'm going to bring it into my crafting system. Mm. Like, oh my There's God. a lot of, we are this so dependent on each other. To yeah. me, this, like, making games is one of the most, to me, one of the most collaborative processes, like, manufacturing <laughs> processes that you can possibly imagine. Or maybe I'm, like, very biased because that's kind of what I know, but it feels like we, you know, we have to be in, communicating and sort of in touch with each other so much that yeah it's definitely and then i mean it doesn't come together from the beginning right no. that's the thing like it doesn't it, it takes it takes a lot of iteration and and work on the game to get to it to the point where it gels yeah yeah alignment and iteration seems to be two of those keywords as well yeah I iterate on on something mm. But what, what do you think that a game designer, because you work in these teams and it's not only teams of game designers, you yeah. have all these people that do yeah. uh, actually building building stuff as well. Like, what do you think the game designer's role is within the team as a whole? So I think usually the step where you're trying to make a design happen is when you're going to get a lot more interaction with other disciplines and you're going to try to sort of make sure that people understand what, what the design is about yeah. and also that they, that, you know, the, they can do it, you know, that they feel like, you know, this is something we can build. Um, um, so I think it's it's this part of, like, implementation and iteration of the design that I think is where a lot of the magic happens, really. Mm-hmm. Because you have a plan, but then, of course, you start to get your hands dirty and, like, to get to it, and you're going to learn a lot from this. So we usually, you know, try to get something in very quickly, uh, what we call a first playable to try to see, okay, is this plan even a good idea? And we do that together with other disciplines. And we need, you know, we need signs and feedback. So we need UI or we need UX. We need, uh, you know, we need a system uh, that works. So we need code. Uh, you know, we need maybe art. We need so to to get to prove that sort of initial um, initial fun. Yeah. And then when we feel good about it, you know, we we take it we take it to this like full functionality step. So. Um, I think the role of the game designer here is m- manifold. <laughs> one of one of the most important ones during this phase is problem solving. Yeah. And this is where I feel like because you're in imp- implementation and iteration for the longest duration of your game production, probably, likely, for sure, actually, <laughs> your your role as a problem solver is probably the most important sort of role or you know skill. That you're gonna use, at least from my experience, um, this is how I how I've how I've seen it. And so so you're you know you're always running into your you know your plan is not gonna work out. We know that already. Uh, you have to believe in it at the beginning <laughs> to implement, but like it's not gonna work out. So you have to you have to like constantly problem solve together with the team. So this is another uh, uh, sort of role that I see is like being being an advocate of the game to the team inviting basically your team to sort of participate in your process, participate in the design, participate in the problem solving, um, get their buy-in, get their input. And because the game design role is a lot more about picking the right idea than it is about making sure that you have the right idea or you have the solution to everything. So uh, I think that's that's a very important role as well. Because um, that's yeah. one thing I've been thinking of, I would say, with the championing the, the game with this in the team is, even if like everybody 
basically, or most people that work in a game tend to play games. Mm. And I know even myself, not being a game developer, I sit down and I play a game, then I'm going to have opinions on yeah. the design of the game. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? As a game designer, ends up the, what, what did it say? The buck ends with you? Like, or how does that work? I think, I mean, there's clear ownership uh, of the of the sort of design on the game designer, right? Like on the design decisions. Um, but, you know, you, you need to have, a why for what you're doing. Yep. You need to ha to be able to explain if somebody wants to do something different from the team, you need to be able to explain this is why we're doing what we're doing. And but you also have to be open enough to hear another point of view and to hear another also another solution. And I think the definitely the focus should be on what is it that will make for a better experience? What is it that is going to make for a better game? Yeah. a more fun game, a better experience for the player. And that's your focus. That needs to be your aim. It doesn't need to be that I'm right or you're, you know what I mean? Or I'm the game designer. I have to decide, you right. know, that it says so in my uh, job description. No, I think it's, I think definitely listening, inviting people to have opinions, to criticize the game together because we're going to, you know, we need to, we're going to be the best critics basically of our game when we, when we develop it. So I think it's, yeah, that's what I would say a game designer should do. Yeah. And I think if you know why you're doing things, um, you know, you can usually explain um, the intention, at least. Yeah. It might not be the best solution that you're, that you're, and then, you know, you can get help from yeah. others. But that, then we actually started bringing out, bringing in that outside force that's just waiting, mm. and that's the player. Right. What happens when the player comes in? Um, yeah, what happens is you, it's not your game anymore. Uh, it is still kind of your game, but it's like it's their game just as much. Um, so I think it's super interesting what happens. Uh, you learn so much about what, what actually, how, how your designs and plans played out. Um, of course, you know, you're confident in what you ship, hopefully. <laughs> and, you know, you think it's fun and good and, and probably is a lot of the time. But, you know, they're going to do things with it that you couldn't have seen coming. No. Because it's usually so many players as well. And players are so skilled and so creative. And it's it's really very interesting. It's such a learning experience every time you ship to see what actually happens with your systems. Them in isolation, but also where they meet. Uh, with the rest of the game, it's like, it, it's really great learning experience. And I think that's what, what was very interesting for me working on live, on a live game for many years was, was having this opportunity or, or, or working on sequels, having this opportunity to take that learning and actually improve the game right. and, you know, patch the game and make it better or make a sequel and make sure that the sequel addresses those things that you've seen is such a cool um, sort of opportunity. Right. So I think you're, I think you're lucky as a game designer to have that opportunity have another stab at it and then see, okay. So you learn so much from that. So yeah, I think that's kind of what I would say happens. Yeah. Hmm? Another thing that's been been coming up more and more speaking about the player are you mentioned UX uh, yeah. in, in passing before. Yeah. How's that affected your job? And uh, questions like accessibility and stuff mm -hmm. in, in games. How do you design around around that? I think it's I think it's about like, I think it's about the game designer's job and role to put themselves in the player's shoes. Yep. I think it's a it's a very big part of, I think, what we do. Thinking about how is the player going to experience 
this thing that I'm making at the beginning, the first time I see it, 10 hours in, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I think UX is a big part of that. And I think that's why it's becoming, uh, you know, a very big, important sort of discipline of the of game development. Um, Just in case UX. Uh, user, user experience, experience. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and for, in terms of accessibility, I think, I think we're making, starting to make strides there. There's definitely a lot more awareness. Uh, there's a lot of games that are doing amazing things with it. Um, so we, yeah, it's, I think to me, it's about having that sort of ability to, to foresee and, and to understand the different types of players and how, how they interact with games in general, how they play them, what they need to be able to be, to have fun, to be comfortable, to understand yeah. uh, what's going on without, um, you know, f- you know, feeling overwhelmed or, um, so, yeah, I think it's definitely a, a big topic, at least for Ubisoft, I know for a fact, uh, it's something that we're focusing on a lot. Yeah, plugging uh, Ubisoft and Massive here. There's actually a mini documentary available on YouTube where you can see kind of how Massive's worked with accessibility mm. um, in the yes. past, which is really interesting. Yeah. So there, there's going to be a lot of people, as I said, like it's great to actually get more of a mm. actual view of what a game designer uh, do. And I, but I know there's a lot of people out there that want to work with game design who are currently starting uh, their interests or starting their careers. What advice would you have to me if I'm sitting at home thinking, hey, I'm going to be at a game center. This sounds awesome. Yeah, I would say go for it. Go for it. <laughs> uh, I think depending on the different sort of aspects that we talked about, uh, there's there's various things that I could I could think of um, that could be cool to do or would help to do. Uh, when it comes to like um, designing, I think in general, um, just playing a lot of games, of different games, and trying to reverse engineer them a little bit, like trying to see how they solved the problems they solved and also why they they did the things they did. Like trying to go that to that sort of uh, place of intention. What was the intention here? I think that can give you a, almost like a little toolbox of, of ready-made solutions that you can kind of draw from when you're trying to solve your own problems yeah. uh, or game design problems. So. Um, I, I don't think we need to be original and reinvent the wheel with absolutely every little thing that we're designing. Right. I think it's uh, it's important to be able to have that sort of um, foundation and, and knowledge of like what's out there. How are people dealing with uh, with the various uh, design problems in, in games? So I think that's that's one thing. I think for for iteration and implementation, like getting an engine, like do things yourself as much as possible. Try things out. Um, for polish and balancing, uh, very important. Watch the user tests. Really use um, if you don't have a lab, you know, get somebody to play. What we used to do were they were called rips, uh, rapid iterative tests. We just take take a friend or take a colleague that is not really working closely what you're doing. Have them play your play your feature. Watch them yeah. play. Uh, Watching like a fresh mind play, I think is such an important like good learning experience for how people are interacting with your, with your systems. And um, you can get the subtle vision and a little bit too used to your, to your designs. Um, For balancing specifically, like uh, I've, you know, that question of like how, when you're in school and you're taking some, some topic or, you know, you're taking physics or you're taking math, you're like, how is this going to help me in life? 
this is where <laughs> this is where I was like, okay, I have reached my math limits quite many times uh, trying to do my job, which is yeah. very interesting. Um, so yeah, I would say math is a is a good one. It's a good skill to have. Um, because that, that's one of the views, like a mm. cliched game designer sitting in front of Excel and just moving numbers around. Yeah, there is a bit of that, uh, for sure. And I think, yeah, specifically for balancing, you want to make scenarios of like, you know, how how players are going to interact with your with your system, and and you need to have you need to know probabilities and yeah. cal- calculus pretty well and stuff like that. So I think it's uh, it's kind of don't underestimate that. I would say. Um, Yes, what else? For I think for, for UX, um, there are two books I can recommend that were recommended to me by people that work with UX yeah. at Ubisoft. And that's um, The Gamer's Brain and How We Learn. I'm, I don't remember the, the authors, but uh, yeah, just, just Google it, I guess. Links um, in the description. Those, uh, I think for accessibility... Um, Look at games that are really good benchmarks. Uh, I think Last of Us 2 is, is uh, now kind of the benchmark. Um, I also find it really valuable to watch streamers that yeah. cover accessibility. Uh, I think it's so interesting to see what they find useful, um, what solutions thing they think work and don't. Um, for being sort of a champion of the game to your team, I think they're just... You know, try to be a facilitator. Don't try to be, don't don't try to be the dictator. Not right. in the you know in the in the terms of like I'm making all the decisions, but like like try to facilitate the feature happening or the system being built or the game being being made put together. I would say that's you know see it that way rather than than you know the other way. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking now, because we talked a lot about fun in the beginning, Yeah. Uh, random tip that mm-hmm. dropped into my head is Raf Koster wrote a book called yes. uh, Theory of Fun, mm. which is one of those like classic game design books. Yeah. Uh, that's It's short and, and really nice. Yeah. I, I think it's it's very interesting. It takes you back to the basics quite Yeah. About quite learning well. and stuff. Right? I need to read that again. It's been a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really good. You know what else is good? What? Please. Pika. <laughs> Sarah Barnhart. We've earned it now. I, I think so. You definitely are. <laughs> I'm just sitting here yeah. listening to you. Uh, but thank you so much for coming. And I think it's time for us to actually try these now. Okay. okay. Sounds great. Yeah, let's do it. There's four of them. going to try not to eat. These are... Wow. There's a milk chocolate one and a dark chocolate one. I'm not sure. You'll never see this. But it says Sarah yeah. Bernhardt. You can't, can't even get it out. What the... Mm. Okay. Is it hazelnut? They also feel like a full meal. Really heavy. Oh, good. Sorry. I'm going to have chocolate all over my teeth now. But thank you so much for coming. It's been great. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Always. Thank you so much for joining our Fika today. We put a bunch of useful links in the description, so make sure to check those out if you want to learn more. Also, remember to like, subscribe, and all that fun stuff you do on the internet. Until next time, take care.